My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10 again. Uh, double digits this week. I'm excited about that. So Mark chapter 10. I want to welcome you uh, this morning. So we've got uh, room 206 up and going at the Hickson campus. Thank you, Jessica, for that. So we've got Jessica and Bobby and Brittany and uh, Danus and Matt and Jen there as well. Hey, good morning, guys. And then uh, online, we've got the Greggs, Nancy Miller. Hey, Nancy, from Oak Ridge and my friends in North Carolina. Uh, Jay and Becky, the Barbers. And uh, Barry Cole, I think he's saying hello, friends. So, hello back, Barry. My Greek is better than my Spanish is. So, and that's, that says a lot about my Spanish. So, there's that. Is it not Spanish? Oh, okay. I was getting heckled from the couch. I figured I'd better check and see real quick. So, there's this. All right, so we're in uh, Mark chapter 10 this morning. This is week 94 of our series in Mark's Gospel. So I'll tell you a couple of things about what have, what have gone on uh, in literary scholarship space uh, about Mark's Gospel in the last few months. So if you look at your handout, and you can find that at OurSundaySchool.com, but if you look at your handout at the top, it's got our approach each week is read, uh, read explain, apply, and personalize. Uh, and then we ask the question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? So if you want to share that uh, in the comments this morning, I'd love to have you do that. If you uh, don't want to share that, that's fine. You shoot me a text or an email. I'd love to, to know what God is doing uh, in you through the portion of Mark we've studied so far. Uh, for me, it's a, a continual reaffirmation of the clarity of Jesus' teachings and how uh, I want to, in my own heart, and I, I see this actually represented in today's text, uh, I want to try to add and blurry and obfuscate the, the clarity of Jesus' actual teachings with uh, exceptions and nuance. And uh, the reality is Christ is quite clear over and over and over again uh, in Mark's gospel. Um, so that this, this uh, light that the Holy Spirit is shining on the sin in my heart has been uh, very helpful, I would say. Uh, and this is what God is doing in me uh, through the portion of Mark that we've studied so far. Uh, so moving on down our, our handout, we see uh, read. So we'll read Mark chapter 10 here in just a moment. Uh, then we get into the explain section, uh, and we just ask questions and ask questions. So our literary or structural analysis, uh, what do the words mean? And then we get into our, our handout. And I haven't explained the handout in a little bit, so I want to walk through that. So the, the red text that you see is the uh, English ESV, the, uh, uh, the English Standard Version. And this is uh, the 2016 text edition. So uh, the ESV first came out in 01, uh, went through several revisions. Uh, 2016 is the latest edition. Uh, the Greek scripture is based on the uh, Nestle Allen 28th uh, UBS 5th edition, which came out uh, several years ago. But I am excited, and there's probably like zero of you that are excited, uh, maybe Mitch, um, I'm excited that Nestle Allen is coming out with a new edition. We think it's going to drop next year. Uh, and there's going to be some additional scholarship that has been done uh, on a couple of the books of the Bible. So the 27th edition to the 28th edition didn't change any of the text. It just changed some of the footnotes. Um, and if you've ever opened up a copy of the Greek New Testament, specifically in uh, Nestle Island, 
the footnotes at the bottom are it's just incredibly complicated. But the the changes from the 28th to the 29th edition, I, what I've heard is that there's going to be some revisions to Mark's Gospel, uh, which to me is very very exciting. That additional historic uh, research and uh, textual analysis has been done. And there'll be some updates and some changes. So what, what I'm hopeful is that we'll be able to capture all of those, bake them into our study. And by the time we finish Mark's gospel, Lord willing, sometime in the middle of 22, um, we will have uh, incorporated all of the latest uh, research into our study. So I, I'm excited about that. And then going on with that little paragraph, what do the words mean? Uh, the definitions come from Strong's Concordance, not the probably not the best dictionary in the world, but one that is readily available and one that I could find uh, and bake into the handout. Uh, and then the morphological analysis. So this is the uh, singular masculine and nominative uh, second aorist active participle. The the descriptors around each one of the words comes from uh, Robinson's morpholo morphological analysis codes. I can never say the word properly the first time. Uh, it is what it is. So I've just kind of mashed all of that up together, and that's where the handout comes from. Uh, I've got an Excel spreadsheet that pulls the databases from each one of those, pushes it all together, export that into Word, do a little formatting, and then I'm done. So that's how that works. Uh, if you are a computer programmer and would like to assist in an idea that I have uh, about how to do this for the entire New Testament quickly, um, I'd love to talk to you about that because I've got some thoughts on this, and I think could really build a cool tool for uh, the church that could endure uh, for quite some time and be a good research tool uh, and assistant for those who just want to know more about uh, the Bible itself. So with all of that, we've got a couple of the folks that have joined. So the Johnsons have joined, the McGarveys have joined, the McClures are here. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Here we go. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But as many who will be first, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, 
he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Mark chapter 10. All right, so if you got your Bibles and you got your handout, let's get going on Mark chapter 10. So this first section in Mark chapter 10 happens immediately after, uh, even though Mark doesn't use one of his favorite words, uh, happens immediately after Mark chapter 9. And you might not know it from the ESV, but the ESV actually omits a word in the, in, from the Greek text. Looking at verse 1 here, it says, and he left in ESV, but there's a word, uh, anistomai, uh, which means to stand up. So it literally would be, and, and he stood up and left there and went uh, to the region of Judea. So he, he finishes talking what he was doing in, in chapter 9. So he's just finished up this, uh, this lecture about temptations to sin and uh, cutting your hand off and your foot off and your eye out and salt and this concept of what does that mean? And we went back and looked at Isaiah the last few weeks and uh, tried to, to work through the text that way. So he stands up, he leaves there, and he goes uh, to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now, one of the interesting things about uh, what Jesus is doing here is he is in Capernaum. Uh, so this is just north of the Sea of Galilee. And this is kind of where he, his home base was, so to speak, in Galilee. And, uh, and it is time in Mark's gospel, it is time to go to Jerusalem. So I've, I've talked to you a few times so far about this idea of moving from one physical location to another. And uh, one of the things that uh, Jesus is doing here is, um, sorry, there we go. One of the things that Jesus is doing here is uh, finishing the work that God the Father has given him. And you, you can't do that from north of the Sea of Galilee. So he's got to make his way to Jerusalem for uh, the, the specific prophecies to be fulfilled. So he's in uh, Capernaum. I'm going to try to use my mouse here and show you kind of where he's at. So he's in Capernaum. He's up here uh, on the north side. And a direct route to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is here, a direct route to Jerusalem would just be straight down and away you go, right? I mean, this would have made all kinds of sense. Uh, this is not what he did, however. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9, the ESV Study Bible, mine's sitting over there, so I'll point over there. Uh, the ESV Study Bible is very helpful in this regard. Luke chapter 9 uh, talks about Jesus is uh, moving south, and uh, he comes to a city in Samaria, and the Samaritans don't want him there. And what... Mark's gospel says he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. So if you're thinking like, well, here's the Jordan, you know, the, the big river that kind of splits Israel in half. Uh, so he, he goes, he comes down to Samaria. They basically say no. He crosses over the Jordan. He travels down and then he's going to come back in. He's going to need to cross the Jordan again to get over to Jerusalem. So, so we have transitioned from this phase of uh, roaming nomadic teaching in the north uh, to we are traveling to Jerusalem to finish the work that God uh, the Father has given the Son to do. 
And uh, I just want to make sure that you understand that we, you know, Jesus is starting to clarify and clarify, starting in chapter 8, starting continuing in chapter 9. And we see it again in chapter 10. He's telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. He's identifying himself as the Son of Man, uh, fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, and he is being very clear about what is about to happen. So I just want to make sure we understood where he is and where he is headed here. So he, he stood up from there. He left and went to the region uh, of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And then finishing up at the bottom of page 310 on your handout. And crowds gathered to him again. So Mark stresses this again because this is normal. So we're, we're going to see in the first part of Mark chapter 10 is normal, 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 new. So let's, let's look at all the normals here. So uh, crowds gathered to him again and again. So again, this is normal. As was his custom, this is normal. Uh, he taught them. Now I've highlighted uh, two of the uh, two of the, the verb uh, morphological analyses here. And I, I just want to show you one that's very, I didn't say very rare. It's rare in the New Testament. It doesn't show up nearly as often as the others do. So if you look at the first one here, uh, this as was his custom, uh, there's another word after as was his custom. So, so custom is a, it's a weird word to translate. Um, so it, it's really two Greek words. It's in this manner uh, to be used. So he, he did this this way. This was what he was used to do uh, by habit. Uh, and this word uh, for habit or custom is in the pluperfect. So it's not a word you've heard me say very often. So we talk a lot about present tense. This is right now. We talk a lot about aorist tense. Uh, so this is the idea of the, the, the word, the, the action of the verb occurs and we're not overly concerned about when. It's just this, this thing happened, right? Generally once. Uh, the imperfect tense, this is repeatedly. So this is con action continually, repeatedly happening in past time. The perfect tense means something is finished in the past and the action and the results continue into the present. It's very helpful for theological explanations. Future tense just means it's going to happen in the future. And then the pluperfect is completed action that existed at some point in the past. So this is something that is, that's happened in the past and it existed in the past, but it didn't necessarily exist and then the results continue to the present. So this is a, um, uh, if I could say it this way, uh, Caleb hit the ball last week. Cool. That could be in the pluperfect tense. That just means this is completed action that existed at some point in the past. Right? Great. So this is, as was his custom, uh, his habit, uh, he's, he's completed this uh, very likely, we know, because it's again, uh, multiple times. <clears throat> so then we transition into he taught them. So the tense for taught is imperfect. So he taught them repeatedly. Uh, so this imperfect is action continually repeatedly happening in past time. So he, he repeatedly taught them. He repeatedly taught them. He repeatedly taught them. Now, there's lots of interesting conversations that we could get into around what did he teach them. Um, we believe we have the substance and the structure and certainly many examples of his sermons, of his teachings in the Gospels. I would argue we don't have all of them. Um, I would argue we have what are themes, we have what are consistent teachings. Uh, I would, I think you can make a, a very solid case that he taught the same material in different places to different audiences. 
Um, but this, this word here, he taught them, doesn't really tell us whether this was the same material or new material. It just, he's repeatedly taught them. All right, so that's the stage. All of this is normal. All this is stuff we've talked about several times. This is things, these are things that have happened before in the first nine chapters of Mark. Verse 2 comes up, and Pharisees came up. Normal, right? Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the legalistic. Uh, they are the uh, very, very religious, externally religious, right? Not internally righteous, but externally religious, uh, this Jewish uh, group. Uh, it, and something I, I haven't been able to figure out yet, so I've, I've got this kind of open question in my mind. This word for came up, um, it shows up several times in Mark's gospel. I didn't highlight them because I'm not going to go through them right now. But uh, it's it's almost never it's almost never used in a positive sense. Like the the instance of 1445. This is when Judas came up to Jesus in the garden and kissed him right before or during the betrayal. Uh, but this particular word just kind of is this very gently negative connotation in Mark's gospel, and I I don't know why. Like I don't I don't get why he wouldn't just use a a more normal word for walked up to somebody, uh, but he doesn't. And this is just a, if, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out if, if this is Mark's way of saying something is off with the request that is coming from the person that is coming up here. I, maybe so. I don't want to read too much into this word choice, but it's an interesting one. So in Pharisees came up and in order to test, so again, this is the, the, Morphology here is the present active participle. We know from studying the, the Greek that this is a, a habit kind of phrase. Uh, so again, this is normal. So he's teaching them these normal. He, he goes somewhere. He gets a crowd. He teaches the crowd. The Pharisees came up. The Pharisees try to test him. All this is normal. So they, they try to test him and ask. This is the imperfect. So this is repeatedly ask him. Uh, and there's two words, uh, two Greek words that are omitted in the ESV. So I'll toss an I. Uh, ask him if, so is this conditional, uh, and then you get back to the ESV, is it lawful? So this is their normal question, right? Is it right? Is it lawful? Is, does this abide by the law? Um, and, you know, they're, they're trying to test Jesus. So they're trying to get Jesus to say, no, 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 the law is not important. Or they're trying to catch Jesus in some uh, error in understanding or using the law. And it, the thing that I just find repeatedly humorous and sad is that these Pharisees that existed in the first century were not around when Moses wrote down the law. Jesus was around when Moses wrote down the law. And Jesus is about to give them a perspective, his perspective, on why Moses had to write certain things down. And uh, the interesting thing here is that if you were to take this case to court, we would be looking for somebody who had a first-person account, an eyewitness of what actually occurred. And these Pharisees are just coming up empty because what they've done is they've stacked Jewish tradition and commentary on top of the law. I've shown you this several times. And the Pharisees are trying to interpret God's word through all this layer of additional rule and interpretation, and it's just not going well. And then you enter Jesus into the scene, who has direct, personal, firsthand, eyewitness account of what actually occurred, and he's just going to give them something they wish they hadn't asked about. 
So they ask him, is it lawful? So this is normal for a man to divorce his wife. And here we have the new. So all of this is regular. All of this is normal. All of this is repeated up to this point where now we've just changed topics. So is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And the, the word for divorce and the word for wife are exactly what you think they would be. It's to send away the person that you were married to. So nothing really uh, spectacular in the words here. This is just well translated. So verse three, he answered them. And there's a couple words for answered here. He, he kind of stopped and um, thought and then started speaking. He answered them, top of page uh, 312 now, what did Moses command you? Okay, so what did Moses command you? So let's like think about this for just a second. So if you are a highly religious person and you believe that whatever Moses wrote was that that was it, would you be familiar with what Moses wrote? Obviously, you'd be familiar with what Moses wrote. And Jesus is uh, asking them about Deuteronomy 24. So he says, what did Moses give you? Moses is the lawgiver. Moses would be their authority in this space. And, and Jesus also knew their hearts that they had put Moses above God's word because in their mind, Moses was the one that could talk to God. And I mean, it's just this crazy, messed up, mixed up theological mess that they've got. So he's, he's, Jesus is going to, he's appealing to who they thought was the highest authority on this. I would argue that Paul takes a very similar approach when he is witnessing to people in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. He will he will bring up uh, concepts and uh, familiar information about the gods that these other uh, pagans worship, and uh, go directly and appeal to what might have been known about them. Very interesting uh, evangelical strategy. So what did Moses command you? Now, this word command shows up one other time in Mark's gospel. Let's go over there and take a look. So Mark 13, 34. Mark 13, 34, just a few pages over. So this is uh, starting verse 32. But concerning the that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Verse 34 is like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands, there's the word, commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So if you're going on a trip, and if you're going to leave your household, now, I don't have a household that has, like, they run the house whenever we go on a trip. When, when we go on a trip somewhere, like, the people who run the house have gone with us because it's just us, right? So think, um, oh, The Crown is probably a good example if you watch the, the series on Netflix. Uh, when the queen uh, goes on uh, to somewhere else, there's somebody who's in charge of the house. And they've been given strict orders, make sure this is still in good shape at this point, right? So this is a, a command. This is exactly what you would expect from the word command. So this is the, the word that Jesus uses here. So what did Moses command you? Verse 4. They said, didn't say they had to stop and think about it. Didn't say they had to look it up. Didn't say they had to consult each other. They just said Here's what Moses said. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, if you were to summarize Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, it's actually not a bad summary. It's not a bad summary at all. They didn't quote the text, but Jesus asked him, what does the text say? So he says, Moses allowed 
this word allowed is used one other time in Mark's gospel in Mark 5, 13. Let's flip over there, Mark 5, 13. I have a hard time stressing how much theological gutter you will stay out of if you will look at where the author of a given book uses a specific word elsewhere in that book to help us align on what this word uh, specifically means. So Mark uh, 5.13, so this is uh, Jesus when he heals the man with the demon. We have to deal with these demonic pigs now because the, the demons have asked to go into the pigs. Uh, verse 13, so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drown into the sea. This word gave them permission is the same word for what the Pharisees say here, Moses allowed. Moses, Moses gave permission for this. Now, Moses didn't command this. Moses carved out permission for this, right? So he says, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce. This is literally just a role, uh, a uh, something that has been written on that says uh, you are uh, no longer married, uh, and to send her away. So we get to verse 5. And Jesus said to them, here we go, are you ready? Because, now this is an interesting translation, because. Um, it's actually the preposition pros. Uh, it means by the side or near or beside something. So you, you can almost translate this beside your and this is a plural your. And this is an interesting your because the, the pronouns don't have a sense of time associated with them. So verbs in Greek have a, you can have a present, you can have a imperfect something in the past or pluperfect something in the past. You can have a future. Uh, but pronouns don't have a, a time component to them in their morphological analysis. Um, they have a uh, number. They have a... Uh, uh, singular or plural, uh, and then I'm still confused on what the genitive means. I'm still working on this, so when I get there, I'll let you know. So, but because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now, Jesus is speaking to people in the first century, and Moses was writing to people several centuries before that. And I think it's interesting that Jesus directs his attention at the people directly in front of him, not the people when Moses wrote the actual words. Um, it's an interesting theological uh, take that Jesus approaches here. So because of your hardness of heart, so this is yours plural, and hardness of heart is a, a very interesting word, sclerocardia. Uh, so sclera is, uh, you may have heard if you have any part of your body that is calcified, uh, it's like scleroderma, some uh, hard patch of skin. Uh, and cardia is the word for heart. So if you were to say the word uh, sclerocardia to a doctor, the doctor would immediately go, oof, that's not a good condition. Like this is like physically, this is not a good condition. Uh, it's not a good condition spiritually either. Uh, this word shows up twice in Mark's gospel. The second time is in Mark 16, 14. Let's jump over there. So Mark 16, 14. We'll see the target audience for this. Now we're in this section of Mark's gospel that has uh, in the ESV the double brackets around it. So I just want to bring that up. So verse 14, and afterward he appeared, this is Jesus appeared to the 11, not the 12, because Judas has exited stage left. They've appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, 
because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Right? So Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief and for this thing, I would argue sin, hardest part is a sin, especially when it's directed at the commands of God. Uh, so because, back in verse uh, 5, because of your hardness of heart, the sclerocardia, he wrote you, like, again, he's turned into them first century Jews, right? He wrote you this commandment. So let's pause here for a second. So let's rewind. Let's go backward in time to when Moses wrote uh, the commandments. So Moses wrote the commandments for the people that Moses was around. And Moses may or may not have understood that these commandments were going to exist long after Moses ceased to exist on the earth. Uh, so those commandments were written for them. Those commandments were also written for people who would follow them. So that when that generation of Israelites that was with Moses, when they passed away, the law was still going to assist and aid and direct and guide them into a better, more right, righteous relationship with God. The law was going to identify who the Messiah is, what to look out for the Messiah. I mean, it's just all these things that the law was really helpful for, uh, to schoolmaster, to bring them to Christ. So when you get to the first century and Jesus shows up, the fulfillment of the law, the Messiah himself, the one who the law points to, and he says, Moses gave you this because of the hardness of your heart. This is not going to ring well with them. Right, Because they're asking him about a very specific point of the law and how to apply and how to interpret this. And he says, the reason you have it is you're sinful. And Moses wrote it for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever been with others who were sinning and you told them, this Bible verse that calls out your sin is written for you. But when you say things like that, the response from the listener is not an overwhelmingly warm and fuzzy response. So what we don't have here is uh, con the continued dialogue with the Pharisees in this instance. But this would not have resulted in a, oh, you are the Messiah. Let's fall down and worship you. Uh, not exactly. Uh, so, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. And what is a commandment? A commandment is a directive, a prescription. A commandment is a, you are to go and to do this thing. So, Jesus, when he asked them, what did Moses write? They said, Moses allowed. And then Jesus says, he wrote you this commandment. Interesting change of words here. So we'll look at a little bit more of that next week. Uh, but what I do want us to focus on this coming week, if you want something to, to meditate on and think about, verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So Jesus goes back before Moses was around, and Moses wrote those words. But God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Jesus says here, the goal is to be together here. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Does Jesus answer the divorce question to the Pharisees? 
answers the question with a question. And then in verses 10 through 12, he answers the Pharisees' questions to the disciples. So notice who Jesus gives the answer to. Jesus gives the answer to those who are actually needing the answer, not to those who are trying to trick or to trap him up in the word, which he was there when it was written. So be careful the questions you ask of Jesus. Uh, he knows our hearts. He knows what is best for us. He knows how to call us to repentance. And he knows when we are being serious about questions and when we are not. Um, this is a wonderful thing to have in a God that knows us well. And I hope that you thank God for that. So uh, we'll stop there this week. We'll, uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up uh, at verse 6 next week. Uh, we might be able to finish this text next week, so we'll see. So now we'll move into our prayer time. I would encourage you to write in the comments uh, any of your prayer requests. Um, Cheryl is saying, here, here, so either that's an amen or she's doubly present. Either way, I'm good with that, so thanks. Um, I would ask you to engage and pray for somebody that is not with you physically. Uh, and then if you are if you are able to go to a Stuart Heights campus, or if you can uh, do so online, either on the Facebook page, YouTube page, or the website, uh, join for worship, I would encourage you to do that uh, it is something that we deeply miss here at our house, and I am looking to the day where we can join our brothers and sisters again physically uh, and worship our King, uh, the one who loves us, the one who uh, died for us. Um, one other thing before I forget uh, to think about this next week, uh, who did Jesus die for in this narrative? <clears throat> died for the crowd, obviously. He died for the disciples, obviously. He also died for these Pharisees who did nothing other than try to trip him up. What love he had. Truly, truly unbelievable. So we'll end the lesson there today. Uh, thanks for being with us. And uh, I would encourage you to uh, continue and be faithful with the homework that we have, especially those of you that are members of our Sunday school. So pray here, think, uh, talk, share, and invite. And Lord willing, I'll see you next week with uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.